Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined once again by literally all of my co-hosts for the first time in a while. First off, welcome back to the show, Shane. So glad to be back. And Laura Nash, how are you doing, Laura? I am good. And Nate Heinegger, how are you doing, Nate? Reagan, my hands are cramped, but my heart is full. Uh, this is exactly what I needed after back-to-back dating sims. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am so happy to have played this game, and I can't wait to talk to you guys. Oh, my God. It. Me too. So so this week we're talking about Celeste, which is a... Well, I mean, Celeste is, I would say, a pretty high-profile indie release, so there is an excellent chance that our listeners are already either playing it or have at least heard of it. Especially if they are fans of the Switch, where I would say this is... Despite being an indie release, it is the highest profile Switch release for at least the month of February. Absolutely. Yeah, that's probably true. It's, uh, I mean, it, I was very much looking forward to playing this game. It's a multi-platform release. It's out on the uh, PS4 and the uh, Xbox One, Mac, Linux, and Windows, which is an insane number of platforms to launch on all at once, but... Uh, this is game's been in development. This has been brewing for many years now. Yeah, I think the I think the truth of it is, I mean, this game is good for Switch, but I also think Switch owners, which includes everyone on this podcast, if a new game comes out on Switch, like that's what we all want to play on. So we buy it on that if it's available on that. Like I, I kind yeah. of think I would have preferred this game on PS4 for like the controller and stuff. That's a conversation for later. But uh, the fact that it was on Switch and I wanted the portableness uh, for like this sort of platformer game, I bought it for the Switch regardless. Yeah, totally. I was knowing I'm I'm going to be taking a 13-hour flight to Bulgaria this Saturday, and uh, I haven't finished the game, and partially that's just because I've been busy as hell, but it's also because really looking forward to that 13-hour uh, Switch binge. Good um, luck getting your Switch to last 13 hours, man. No, I'm going to hey, have to bring in overseas a power flights have uh, powers. Oh, mm-hmm. good idea. I mean... I want to apologize to everybody in Wormhole Coffee Shop of Chicago the day after this got released because I downloaded it over their Wi-Fi and then played it for several hours <laughs> while everyone around me was working on their laptops. <laughs> so I was a double jerk for the data and then rubbing their faces in. Nice. Speaking of, uh, speaking of playing in coffee shops, I am uh, very happy to report that a mile from my house a really cool new place to play games has opened up. It's called Coral Sword, and uh, it is a collaboration between uh, some of the some people who have opened up many coffee shops across Houston and also uh, baseball player Hunter Pence uh, and one of the guys from that Comic Book Men TV show. And it is a tremendous, tremendous joint to just go and hang out in and they've got a um, huge you know collection of board games they've got video games they've got a place where they do like twitch streams they've got um, yeah. comics you can read the place is great it's funny you were telling me about that and then I also saw it on Twitter through I you know through baseball Twitter I saw huh. Hunter, like literally Hunter Pence uh, you know talking about it I'm like that's pretty rad so if you'd like to stalk Shane, there you go. So yeah, funny funny story. I went on uh, the I went on the first, um, well not not opening day, but I went uh, the second day they were open, 
Uh, and Julia and I went and brought little Ty in his uh, little carrier. Ty was like throwing his rattle on the floor. And like I didn't spot it until Hunter Pence showed up over my shoulder, <laughs> handing handing us the baby rattle. So nice. That was uh, that was kind of a funny interaction. Well, I uh, I didn't mention it in the uh, Doki Doki episode, but semi related. I opened up my work computer at work with Doki Doki Literature Club like real big on my screen, Ooh. and I was like. Rookie move, mate. And closed that, went to a different part of the office, opened it up, and then closed out the application. When we say uh, our podcast about fitting our games into our lives, we mean literally every crevice of our lives. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. And uh, this game that we're talking about this week is one that, I mean, it. I've, I've only just completed it, but while I was playing it, it, it wormed its way into every crevice of my life and mind. It was it was like it was like my hands wanted to play Celeste while I was asleep. It was really something. Um, to give yeah, some backstory I, on this game that I think is kind of kind of neat and interesting. I mean, first off, we should just describe what the game is. The, the game is a uh, is a a very difficult but really really well designed platformer um, in a very sort of classic hardcore platformer kind of kind of vein. You play Madeline. Uh, Madeline is a cute little red-haired uh, sprite, uh, you know, very low low pixel uh, kind of art to the style to this game, and she is battling with her internal demons uh, while climbing a giant mountain. And the story is sort of vague at the start. We'll have some spoilery discussions towards the end past the spoiler break, but basically that's the setup, is Madeline wants to climb this mysterious mountain, Mount Celeste, and climbing the mountain means progressing your way through hundreds of extremely difficult little self-contained action platformer uh, scenes uh, or, or, or screens or stages. And for those of you who tuned out when you heard the word hardcore platformer and said, not for me, uh, I love this game and I'm not usually in for games that hate mm. me. I played like five minutes of Cuphead. That game is one I watch but don't play. This game is definitely one that I um, am planning on beating. I haven't finished it yet, but every death is, you know why it's happening. It's not unfair. Um, it's really well balanced. So don't let the hardcore yeah. description turn you off. We're going to get into it more as we discuss the finer points of the game. But this is actually a game that loves you yeah. and, wants, and wants you to play it. Um, so while it is very difficult, you have a lot of control over uh, what you decide to do and how difficult you decide to make it for yourself. So... Uh, I, I, if you're, if you want a great platform experience, I, I, I don't, I would not pitch this to someone as a very difficult platformer. That is a part of it, but this is a, a truly enjoyable platformer. Yeah, it is a really hard platformer, but it kind of transcends that in a lot of really interesting yeah. ways. Um, history wise, I mean, we mentioned that this is the, the next game by Matt Thorsten, the guy who created Towerfall. And I mean, I know we all one really of my love personal Towerfall. favorite games of all time. Yeah, and yes, I think same. if I had to describe the one thing that made Towerfall so successful, it's that that guy knows how to make games about jumping that feel good. You know, it's like Mario and then Towerfall. Like that's the the order of good jumps in the universe, and everything else is after that. And so it's just an incredible game to control. 
So when I heard this was from Matt Thorsten, and it's, there's, he's got other folks who worked with him as well, I think notably uh, Noel Berry, um, who is also an indie game designer who's done some... I follow him on Twitter, but I don't think I've ever played his other big game, which is called, like, Skytorn. I'm not even 100% sure if it's out yet. But in any case, this was this was more of a team effort than Towerfall, as I understand it. Um, and it came to be over a kind of an interesting process. Uh, uh, Matt and Noah... Uh, Noel? I hope I'm getting his name right. I maybe I don't have it in front of me, but anyway, the the two of them did a game jam, where they created a prototype game in Pico Eight. Uh, we talked very briefly about Pico Eight on this show before, but it's this really clever and interesting little game design toolkit uh, that pitches itself as a uh, console, like a virtual micro console yeah like a like a virtual well virtual console is like you know tm 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 but uh but like it's a it's a fantasy console it's this it's uh it's a software it's a piece of software that you can run on your computer or they have like a raspberry pi version or whatever but it essentially pretends to be a and kind of has the same limitations of a uh, old computer from the like uh early 80s so it has uh, you know very hard limitations on the number of sprites you can have it has very hard limitations on the amount of memory that it has um it display it has a uh, a sequencer that's like limits the types of sounds you can make it has a very limited palette of colors that give the games for it a very distinctive look um games are always created in a i think it's 128 by 128 uh pixel display which gives them these this like very distinctive uh, like low res kind of vibe. Not to mention that games are stored in the form of a picture file, which I think is one of the most unique things about the Pico Eight. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a, really neat. As a, they call them ROMs or cartridges, I guess, but they are really just like PNG files that you just sort of drop into your your little Pico emulator. It's really a, a neat tech, um, but it's not the subject of our show. No. And it's only very tangentially related to it. So let's talk about Celeste. <laughs> well, it's I think I think very related in that it's it's where Matt designed the first version of Celeste, and so it's it, Celeste. The original version was released uh, after that game jam years ago, and I played it first at that time. Um, and it's easily the best game that you like. Pico Eight has this uh, website where you can go to play games that people have created with it, and anybody can post them. And Celeste is easily the best game there. And so I've been sort of following its development and expansion into a full game uh, over the several years since that came out. And I'll be perfectly honest, I wasn't 100% sure this was for me because these types of games aren't really usually my bag. Uh, did any of you guys like or play any other quote-unquote masochore or masochistic platformers that you actually liked or what's yeah, your backstory I mean- with those? This is a genre that is like right in my wheelhouse. This is one of my favorite genres. I I love difficult platformers. Um, I mean, the ones we've done for the show, VVB, VVB, uh, mm-hmm. in in plus plus, um, which is a oh, I mean, that is, n plus plus is great. We never actually did an episode yeah. on that, but that game is amazing. Yeah, and that's about as pure platformer as you can get. Uh, that similar in a way. I mean, it's just literally single stages. Uh, Celeste has a little bit of expansion around it where the stages grow, but like, you know, in plus plus is just a single stage that you're trying to, uh, to beat uh, super meat boy. Um, I don't think any of those games really do what Celeste is doing, but when we're talking about, uh, you know, just hard platforming ability, uh, I, I love that genre. And, and I think Celeste, 
um, you know, spoilers for my opinions, is my favorite game in that genre now. I think it's the most complete package. I would agree. Like, I, I've played previously, like, N+, plus, or I can't remember which version it is that I've played. Uh, I played the original browser version, and I played uh, one other. Uh, but this whole, this whole genre, it's characterized by... Uh, the thing I think kind of defines this as a this as a genre is uh, quick restart, kind of trial and error mm-hmm. in platforming, because that's it's very distinct and different from the the platforming in kind of mainline platform games where you have a, a level where you're trying to make it from kind of beginning to end, and they'll have all varying degrees of difficulty, mainly involving how much they make you repeat or or penalize you when you screw up right yeah how much damage you can take yeah. uh things like that mm-hmm. like some of them you know like mario obviously the most classic like usually you're gonna at least be able to take one hit if not multiple mm-hmm. um, and they and also tend to have uh in these sort of massive core style games they also tend to have some kind of complex mechanic much or, or, or more complex than in your typical platformer, where you'll you'll have in something like N plus, um, you know, it's not common in most platformers, at least you know, the most popular platformers to have things like multiple kinds of like wall slides and wall jumps that you have to master completely in order to in order to progress through the game, and that's definitely the case in this. You've got uh, a very mechanically complicated character. To master in order to, to succeed in Celeste. You mentioned that it's single stage most of the time where you're just beating one screen at a time. It saves for you. You move on. You're expected to die a billion times. A few times they will chain it together and you'll get to you know, escape a boss or a mini boss. And the first time I did that, I was reminded of the water escape from Ori and the Blind Forest mm-hmm. because that um, level, a couple man. of because a couple of them, when they start chaining, are actually pretty tough when you get later on. Um, or at least it's tough for you if you aren't good at platformers. The, you do, there's no qualifying this. These these levels are tough no matter how much of an uber gamer you are. This is an incredibly difficult game. It just it just balances that in a way that that made it yeah. approachable. And, and the dash and the, the, the... A lot of the mechanics reminded me of similar things where you need to hop off orbs or a lot of things reminded me of that escape just because it mirrored the feeling of success when I finally got it. And this game will make you feel very, very good, like a goddess when you finish a level. Oh, man. Yeah, why don't we talk about some of the uh, some of the mechanics? Because, you know, at this point, I think most people are familiar with a platformer, but now we're starting to get into the specifics of what makes this one, you know. Listeners, if you haven't played a platformer, it's a game in which <laughs> typically you have buttons that you press that make a small it's, character move on screen. It's a video game. And uh, so what's cool, I think it benefited uh, myself, is that it's pretty much the Towerfall uh, character. Um, same weight, same jump, and the same sort of dash. Uh, it's a little bit different in Towerfall, and it achieves something different in Towerfall, but it's the same sort of speed. But basically, you have a relatively limited set of moves, um, more so than you know, like Mario or whatever. Yeah, but Even more limited than Towerfall, since there's no arrows. It's literally just no jump arrows. and dash. As far as I can tell, I think well, it's just those there's two There's wall climb. Oh, of course, uh, the wall climb. Wall yes. climb. That's, so in Towerfall... You can wall jump, uh, but you can't wall climb. So you 
if you are holding a trigger, when you hit a wall, you'll stick to it. But there is a stamina. It's an invisible uh, counter, but you'll see your character start to like sweat, basically. And so they can only stick on the wall for so long. And so that's all that you have. You have move, you have jump, you have a dash, which is something, you know, it zooms you forward, whichever direction you're holding. And then you have wall climb. Um, but the game... That is your character's move set, but of course, like any good platformer, the the world introduces a, a lot of different mechanics that sort of play off of that. Uh, things that you bounce off of, um, really cool uh, blocks that if you dash into, you shoot through really, really fast and pop out the other side uh, at an accelerated rate, or... Um, things that can kind of like make you fly. Uh, so you are, your moveset is limited, but the world is more complex and it's a balance of those things. And it generally w- requires uh, near perfect execution for a lot of the end of the stage um, sort of puzzles or, or platforms. Yeah, puzzles uh, is actually a good way to put it because so many of these levels they're at first glance and even the at first couple dozen tries they seem literally impossible like yeah many of these levels they on the face of them seem like something that like i only have one jump i only have one dash this is not possible and yet you know you you throw your tiny little corpse into these pits uh again and again and you realize pretty quickly usually oh i see what they want me to do here and yeah i i love that when you go into a room you're just like i i just had this constant like <laughs> like laugh like what yeah there was more than one time where i would like like i i killed myself like a thousand times trying to get through a room and only to like have that ill moment of elation when i'm like yes i made it and i go in and look in the next room and i'm like Fuck oh. you! Yeah, or or <laughs> like this? you, there, high highs the, and low lows. This one looks even harder. <laughs> one of my favorite things about these difficult platformers is the the sort of like progression that you you die your way through a level where it's like okay, you go in, and so the first attempts generally they're just like you're feeling it out, you're trying to understand like what how far you can get with your jump and and what's like the general strategy and then you start to actually figure out okay now i know what i need to do and it's about execution and then you get lazy and you die on the first like <laughs> you, you it, like there might be like a, a first jump you have to make that is an easy jump and you'll just run right off of it right into the uh plat right into the hole because you're you're looking past it and you have to like refocus pull it back okay make that first jump and then uh, finally, it comes down to mastery, and you beat it, and you feel like a platform god, uh, like Laura said. It's it, it really is satisfying, and the game does that. And I do think that there's a, a really good progression to like your personal skills in this game, where you'll get into one, you'll be like, "This looks impossible," and then you nail it on like the you know first or second try because the game has trained you so well for these sorts of situations. I can um, uh, I can speak to that a little bit because. On more than one occasion, I um, I put the game away, uh, forgetting to hit save and quit, uh, which means that you're restarting from the last big uh, big checkpoint instead of exactly where you left off. And the first time I did that, I was really frustrated because I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> these levels took me all night last night." <laughs> um, and then, like, I sat down and just like breezed through them. 
Yeah. So that's such a good feeling, it actually. Do, it, yeah, it is actually. There's something this game does that I think is really, really um, like nuanced, and I and I really, really appreciate it. So uh, a lot of the levels require timing, like you would expect. There's moving platforms, things that are going up and down, left and right. There's bad, you know, enemies, things that if you touch them, spike traps, whatever, that are moving constantly. That if you hit them, you die. And what they did is. The, the refresh is so fast that every time I could find, and, I w- and once I caught on to it, I was checking, that they are set up for you to start immediately. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you, if you die and you don't, like, start your run over, you're actually missing the timing, and you have to wait for it to cycle over. So... It's yeah, better. all the moving platforms reset to exactly where they need to be for you to start running through the level and, right and just away. Just go for it. Yeah. So uh, if you die, you need to be ready to to make your next attempt right away. Or yeah, or the, your your momentum, your like your hand uh, focus, all the stuff that you're picking up as you're trying, you're you're missing the beat. And uh, I just love that because it allows this like constant once you get that like mindset going this constant trial and error and everything just lines up just perfect for each attempt to be like a good attempt uh and i just love that i think that's like a really you can tell that's something that had to be tested and something that had to be thought about and something that had to be like purposeful because i don't think a lot of platformers do that they just sort of like plop you in at a moment in time and you have to like watch and time everything but this is set up for you to go there's Um, this beautiful balance of it wanting you to speed through but also uh, often the levels get so much easier if you just have a tiny smidgen of patience if you let your hands relax for a second and take it the jump Um, agreed it's it's rare to get that balance because a lot of games want you to just speed through or they have levels within the sections that are deliberately trying to get you to slow down this keeps you going back and forth if you want to take a breather you can um and you often will get halfway through a level you've beaten a million times and you actually need to think about how to get to the next spot and until you move you're not probably not going to die unless you're getting chased I want to talk a little bit about how this game approaches its difficulty because like I think the thing that that makes any I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't say just anybody could make a, a platformer this hard but I mean it doesn't take it doesn't take genius to make some make a level almost impossible to complete you know I say it does to make it fair right where you blame yourself for the deaths and not the game right but what I think so. is so amazing about this game is that like it, uh, I mean it does it does many many clever things to make a incredibly difficult platformer still feel fun feel fair feel like something that that like it never left me feeling like I couldn't do it it always made it feel like I can do this if I just give it one more shot and uh, if I do it right 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 if if I I do it right all the stuff that you talked about Nate like the way that they line everything up to make it you know make it seem fair make it easy to repeat make it easy to try the same thing over and over and over again with slight iterations until you finally succeed all that helps enormously Um, but uh, something that I really really appreciate about this game is that they they let you choose your own difficulty in 
in so many different ways. Like uh, a, a lot of games will start your game with a difficulty choice, right? You, you can choose between easy or hard or very, very hard mode. And this game doesn't do that. There's no easy mode exactly to Celeste. It has a bunch of things, both things that are essentially menu options and things that are just decisions you make as you play that let you kind of find your own sweet spot for this game. Um, the the most obvious one is the strawberries, which I think is is like genius. It's, it's the best thing I think that they did in, in terms of game design here. This game uh, has a kind of critical path. So you need to get from point A to point B. It's pretty obvious generally, like where you need to go that in order to progress sort of the main story. And many of those levels are very hard, but they're probably not the hardest. Scattered everywhere, usually right where you're gonna come across them and sometimes hidden in very clever ways, are these little floating strawberries that add as a little inducement. The game tells you straight off that these things don't do anything. You don't have to collect the strawberries. There's no store, there's no good ending. Right. They tell you right away and I appreciated that so much. I think that the thing that they said was that the only thing collecting strawberries will do is maybe impress your friends. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, and I hope that I, they do because I went out of my way to get a lot of strawberries. <laughs> yeah, I. so because this is like exactly what I want in a game, no, I, man, I, made the strawberries. The, I made no, the rule, no if I see the though. strawberry, if I see a strawberry, I was getting it. And, mm. and, and so, but I just, I loved it. And I, it should be said, they're not the first game to, to do no. this thing. Like, even the Mario platformers, all the all the ones of the recent generations, have these, like, purple coins that are, like, slightly additional difficult uh, things. But the density of them um, and the actual challenge of them, some of these, uh, like, I personally found the, the, the base game, like, the non-strawberries, um, I, I didn't have a whole lot of difficulty with the majority of the game. The strawberries, though, that is where I think eighty percent of my deaths came through. Like yeah. I almost wish, I almost wish I didn't go for them on my first playthrough so I could see how I like did on the game without going for them because that is where I died over and over and over oh, and yeah. over and over over. It, I mean, it is because they're usually in addition to the to the level. They're not like you go and get the strawberry and it's and it's done. Very often there, you get the strawberry while also completing the level, so you have to do both. And you don't, quote, get the strawberry unless you've survived for... Yeah, you have to land. You have to, like, get feet on the ground. ground. And not all ground counts, so, man, (laughs) that's very good design, in my opinion. Like, it's a very simple little thing, but, like, you have to grab the strawberry and get back to safety before it counts. and which is often the end of the stage. Right. It's just, like... It's like a series, like you're, you know, some of these stages are pretty extended. So not only are you making it from start to finish, but with these, you're going out of your way into a more treacherous situation to get them and then continue on with the, um, with the standard sort of progression. Uh, and, and I loved it. I mean, I, they are, they were truly challenging, uh, platformer, uh, moments. And it, it like, it was just so much fun. And, and I thought, this was like the, the precision with the design um, you had to execute perfectly. I mean, we're talking like a matter of, you know, video game inches that you had to jump exactly perfect to get some of these. Um, and it came down to like 
muscle memory like perfect execution and it's programming perfect. your horrible little meat claws my to little do meat claws Mine. on the tiny on Ugh. the tiny joy cons which we'll talk about in a minute but <laughs> with that being said like i love that i had the choice to not go for them um yeah i so- I, I went for all of them but like this game doesn't want like i i really believe that even the most uh like novice platformer could finish this game it, yeah. It's going to be difficult for different, like, the the amount of time it takes you to beat it is going to be, um, you know, is going to range. Um, and you may use some of the stuff we're about to talk about. But I don't think it's inaccessibly difficult. We've right. done games like Hyperlight Drifter. I think that is, like, inaccessibly difficult unless you're, unless you're ready to commit to it. I don't think that's this game. I think... Um, some of the like V or even like Super Meat Boy and stuff like that, those can be almost inaccessibly difficult. And I think that's fine. I think if a game wants to be that difficult, that's totally fine. Um, but it's going to close itself off to 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 a, a large player base. And so what's awesome about Celeste is it does both. It's as hard as you want it to be. It is a intricate, complex platformer or it's more straightforward. And I think we can talk about some of the things that they do to make it easier. I think it's also a tone change because so many of those masochistic platformers want you to feel superior if you can beat it. But if you don't, it kind of makes fun of you. It, it's in the name. You know, you, you. You, if you have to be a masochist in order to like the relationship with the game is one of like uh, a sadistic thing that's that's wants to kill you and wants to make you the game miserable. is torturing you the game this game is yeah. encouraging you i mean it even says you should be proud of your death count laura you're, you're right about the difference in tone like i compare this game to super meat boy where in super meat boy when you screw up you are eviscerated and like spray all over the screen in red gore and in this, it's just like, you know, some colorful circles and then you are right back where you started. Yeah. Yeah. It's like just like Super Meat Boy is like purposefully gross. Like when it is the whole thing is kind of meant to be off putting and you're you're not only fighting like the the difficulty of it, but you're fighting like the concept of the game and its tone. Celeste. Yeah. Wants you to beat it. It's it, it's we haven't really gone about in the graphics either, but it's I think it's a beautiful yeah, game. It, it's kind uh, of like a in terms of tone. I think it's like. Um, I mean, just the just the the story of the game, climbing a mountain and also facing these sort of inner demons. It has this, you know, the, the story actually really does kind of drive things forward because it's it's one of sort of personal growth and light. You know, it, the game is hard, but life is hard, and that's <laughs> like that. That's sort of the feeling of it. Is like, yes, we're doing this hard thing, and we're doing it to grow as a person and that feels good even if it is just a game like that's that's what i loved about this it's not like throw your meat body against the grinder little meat boy it's like madeline is really trying and i want her to succeed i mean often when developers say the difficulty of the game is intrinsic to its purpose or its theme or its its story i kind of want to call bullshit but here i'm I go for it. And something else, I mean, we mentioned the strawberries. There's also B-sides of hidden sections, but there's also an entire assist mode where if you need specific setting tweaks to help you, uh, you can slow down people, but you get to choose what is 
making the game hard for you and tweak that specifically. It's not like you go into a nerf mode where everything, you know, the entire game breaks for you. You can choose what makes what you think makes the game hard, and that is exceptionally good game design that I don't think yeah. I've seen anywhere else. I really no, like beautiful. that. Something that uh, so Laura, you were mentioning Cuphead earlier and how you kind of bounced off that game because of its its difficulty. It's, I, it's beautiful. It's I am a Disney fan who collects concept art and loves old timey Disney stuff. I played a five minute demo of Cuphead and didn't buy it because it was way too hard and I just watched Twitch streams so they get no money from me. Breaks my heart. Right. I think I read an interview with um, with uh, Matt Thorsten where he was talking about the sort of origin of the assist mode. And like when I played first played Celeste at, a, at an event a couple of years ago, it didn't have that yet. That was not an early design decision. And I think that actually came after he saw the response to Cuphead. Um, and w- w- so the part of the thing about Cuphead is like, People really, lots of people had the same experience you did, Laura, where people wanted, and I had the same one, honestly, I didn't buy the game either because it seemed too hard, um, wanted to experience that game in some way, but the way the game was built was not designed to kind of work with or for them. And so he wanted to add something to, you know, he, he thinks that everybody should play the game in its standard mode, but that the assist mode is a way for those folks who just won't see the end of the game otherwise to be able to get through it without just fundamentally changing the way the game uh, works. I mean, it it gives you these very specific tweaks. It's not something where it's just like throwing out whole uh, sections of content. I hate when an easy mode does that, where it just takes and something they don't out. And punish you for it. Right. Or like Luigi's there and he's like, hey, I see you're having Earth Toad or whoever's like, I see you're having a hard time with this. Yeah, there's so many worse ways this could be handled. Yeah. But this is a really good thing. Now, one thing I should mention about the assist mode, just because, just so if you're, if you haven't played this game yet and you're trying to decide about whether you should use the assist mode or not, first of all, um, the game doesn't penalize you in any way for using it, except that it does, if you turn it on, put a assist mode badge on your save file. Now, it doesn't prevent you from getting any of the achievements. It doesn't prevent you from seeing any of the content. In fact, it probably lets you see content you wouldn't otherwise be able to see. Um, I kind of wish I had known that it puts that badge on your your save file in advance because uh, I turned it on uh, just sort of to see how it worked and turned it off again immediately. I literally just sort of wanted to see what options there were. And ever since, my save has been has been branded, right? Um, so that okay. kind of bugs me because now no one will believe me that I did not com- did not need the assist mode to complete the game. Luckily, we're not spying on you in Denver and looking at your save file, but still. Yeah. Reagan, I think you needed the assist mode to beat the game. Would you show me and your save no file? Shame, so I can- Listeners, yeah. I know. not shaming we're you. Going back and, we're going back and forth here because we're saying how great it is. So other than Reagan, who got the most uh, strawberries? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, Nate, obviously. We're but we're all at different stages of completion. So yeah, I think we need to. Uh, we'll we'll put it on our Twitter feed uh, when we're all when we've all completed. Who got the most strawberries? But I think I'm currently in the lead. But I think um, it's you be are. Nate. But uh, but I'm going to go I, back and get some more. No no question. I, I do want to say too, um, if you're a fan of Towerfall, this this like game manipulation element is not new to his games. Uh, the, the Towerfall had a awesome 
set of um, rules manipulation that you That's a good do, point. Or... Kind of felt like the sort of thing it descended from things like the, the fighting game genre. Like, I always sort yeah. of thought of that as sort of a Smash-like thing when it, when it totally. was there in, in but Towerfall. It, but it was even, it was, like, I played a lot of Smash Brothers too. I, I thought Tower Falls was even more intricate. You could very much so. You could basically uh, turn on and off or manipulate just about every thing you could think of. Uh, every setting that you would want to change, uh, you could do that in Towerfall. Now, it was generally on and off, so we're not talking like a percentage thing um, like you can with the assist mode stuff, but still, like the, the idea that you were able to manipulate the the physics of the game to make it different, uh, he had already done in Towerfall. So I think it was probably a pretty logical uh, sort of... Uh, Absolutely. Um, but it, it's like comfortable he implemented the yeah. right options here too, though. Yeah, like, I agree. He, he gives you the option... I'm trying to remember all the specific ones, but like he gives you the option to slow down the game up to 50% yeah. speed, which was, you know, when I was experimenting with it a little bit, that was easily... I think the standout useful option, it changes nothing about the game except giving you like, you know, if you're having, if you're, you know, if your horrible meat claws are not doing what you tell them to do, maybe they can do it a little slower. And that's like a big one, but also there's an invincibility option. There's an option to be able to get unlimited dashes, unlimited stamina. So you can hang on walls for an unlimited amount of time, but there's nothing in it that just lets you skip. When I played around with the invincibility that was so I, I made a second save file because I was warned by Reagan and I played around with uh, with these accessibility options and it is just so goofy to see um, to see the character like fall in one of the you know bottomless pits and then just sort of like bounce back out <laughs> it's like boing 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 that's funny I yeah it's it's a it's such a cool mode I so you know again I I do think it's I personally think it's totally fine for developers to make really, really hard games. But I hope that this idea expands. Um, because I think it, while difficulty can be a, a focus of a game, I, I, there are games that I have not gotten into because I think it's going to be too hard for, for me. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a great way to, to expand your audience. And it just seems, like obvious like I, I like if hyperlight drifter which is like purposefully difficult had a way to make that a little bit more accessible i i think i probably would have used a, it i i it would have bounced more, off that game hard been, because yeah, it would have been a more popular game probably too you know and and not just for us when i used to develop games for kids and families whenever we made a game targeted at you know nine-year-old boys which was platformers or you know easy versions we always had to think, okay, there's probably a five-year-old younger sibling who's going to want to play this and is going to start crying if it's too hard. Is there yeah. an easier path with less rewards? And that was just, you know, for little tiny five-minute flash games or iOS apps. Yeah. I think that everybody has probably someone who's not a gamer who doesn't play a lot of games like this who you think might enjoy Celeste. I mean, the music, the graphics, the gameplay is really fun and just being able to say, look, if it is too hard, no shame, put a couple settings, we can yeah. play the same game. You don't get to play the same game with people who don't play games that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one thing we're also glossing over here is obviously the accessibility side of it. Um, somebody, you know, who might not 
uh, for, for various reasons, may not have the hand-eye control or the, the hand movement to be able to do a sort of like twitchy, uh, you know, platformer. Um, I, I love that this might be an accessible uh, way into this genre for someone who, for reasons beyond just difficulty, uh, may and, not And have, something I, I like to say about like accessibility options in any in any setting, you know, in in, uh, in any sort of tech or or really just literally anything, we're all going to need accessibility options at some point in our lives, probably already could use some of them, you know, you're going to get older and you're I mean, I'm already feeling that my hands don't do what they used to do when I was a teenager. Uh, I already can't see as Sorry. well as I could Sorry. when I was a kid. What? Your hands don't do what they did when that you were a teenager. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> I, just can't. I mean, you know, that, that I can't. I can't control a game in as good of a way as I used to be able to. It, like I'm only the just digging deeper. Sorry, two years old. So, like, but this stuff, this stuff happens to everyone. Accessibility isn't just about. Uh, making a game accessible to to folks who have some sort of literal physical impairment. We're talking about like accessibility is for everyone. You may not need it now, but you will. And it there are probably things that you need now. Uh, so it's really good to see options. You know, why not have that kind of option for people, right? Yeah. yeah. Sometime you'll your hand will cramp up, or you'll be on a bumpy plane, and you're going to die a lot. Uh, you know, there's a great poster from the UX community, which is, you know, you make this accessible for a person with one arm and it works with someone holding a baby or someone on a subway station. Right. So basically any situation, if you can make it work for people, you have no idea how people are going to kind of hack your workarounds Mm -hmm. to make their situations work. Do it. So this feels like a good segue into a entirely different conversation, though. But it's something that we all we kind of had this conversation as we were all getting into this game. Um, The controllers that we used for this game, because this Mm. is something that required, uh, I mean, hand dexterity. It it is a it is an intense game that required a lot of um, hand work. I don't know how to put it better than that. Uh, And and like for me personally, I, I said it right at the top. This is the first time that I was like, you know, this, this, I love the Switch. I, I truly do, but the Joy-Con did not feel the best for this game. I, I, I like a, a D pad for platformers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, and my hands could not comfortably do the pseudo D pad on the Switch while also handling the trigger. So I just had to sort of train myself to use the joystick. And once I got, comfortable with it it's fine i i you know i've been using the joystick for the whole game uh but it made me wish i was playing it on like maybe the playstation which has a, a more manageable d d-pad i'm really surprised because i've always hated the d-pad on the playstation and this was the game that made me like when i first was about to buy a switch i looked at that like not a d-pad on the side the little four button d-pad arrangement and you know, mm-hmm. obviously, there's a good reason that they set it up that way. It's so that the deep, that that Joy-Con can function independently as a separate controller. But, but like, I looked at that and said, "That is trash. I will never be able to play a platformer on that." And this is the game that convinced me otherwise. Now, I've I played this game. Yeah. Actually, I switched back and forth between a lot of things. I played probably most of the game, a little more than half, I think, um, using the Switch Pro controller, which has a full-on traditional Nintendo 
cross pad, right? Um, but it also has a really nice, uh, uh, nice um, uh, stick, uh, very similar to the one on the Joy uh, Joy Cons, but a little bit bigger. Uh, so I pl- I played this game on the stick on the Switch. I played the stick on the Joy-Con. I played the D-pad on the Joy on the uh, Pro Controller. I played the uh, the this. You know, I played literally every possible way that you could play this game. And what was weird about it was having all those options was amazing because there were certain times in the game where, well, what I really need is an analog control. Things like the moments where she's flying and technically she only moves in eight directions, but having the analog stick felt like a more natural way to play those sections. And there were some things where I needed to very accurately set up diagonals or very flat straight jumps or or or, um, or dashes. And for those, I went to the D-pad. And when I really needed to make sure that I didn't accidentally do a diagonal, which is a problem on the Switch Pro Controller. Which is constantly happening. Oh, yeah. Then yeah. I switched to the Joy-Con because, or rather the, the Joy-Con grip or, or Switch in handheld mode. Because that D-pad, it being four separate buttons, if you want to hit to the right, you know damn well you're not accidentally hitting up left, you know? Yeah, what what hand did try to use the D pad? What finger? What finger did you use for wall climb? Uh, Left hand? Oh, right hand. Right, right R two. Okay, so Uh, I think that's the the difference. I I use my left hand for the trigger hmm. um, for the wall climb, and I could not at all comfortably use the left hand trigger. And the D-pad. I it like just, that you only ever need to use one trigger, so you could do it. And I was using left-hand trigger and joystick uh, yeah, that's almost exclusively in handheld mode. And I didn't even try to use the D-pad because with the triggers yeah. and needing two diagonals, I just didn't even attempt. And just to throw back to, you mentioned the, the PlayStation. I think that the... the the D-pad is fine on the PlayStation. It's not, it's not the best, but that's where I played Towerfall. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And, and so, like, that's where, like, that's what would have been most comfortable. Yeah, that would for definitely me. be muscle memory based on that. You're right. Yeah. I, and I probably yeah. would have loved it on the PlayStation as well. But, like, I actually, this is the game that sold me on the Switch's weird non D-pad. Like, I, I yeah. thought I hated it. And now I only think it's like, it's good in the right circumstances, and the Switch gives you other options. So I'm I'm now much more sold on it than I was. I've, I I'm also I think while we're on that subject, it's that is the same way I wound up playing. I pl- wound up playing much more with the uh, with the Joy Cons, even when I was kind of sitting on the couch. Um, I am still just a huge fan of the disconnected controls. On have, playing with two Joy Cons, mm. just I didn't actually do that much for this, but it's it's great when you use yeah. it. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, speaking of playing games while holding a baby, um, <laughs> if you are playing games while holding a baby and you can play it with the two Joy Cons, then you basically have almost your whole arms with which to hug the baby. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, one of it's my, pretty good. It's one of my favorite things about like. Like Nintendo knowing their audience, but also not knowing their audience, and it started out with the the Wii, where you'd see all these uh, like commercials of people with the Wii Wiimotes. Like they're like, yeah, people are gonna play like tennis and like Zelda. They're gonna be up and they're gonna be standing and they're gonna be mobile and they're gonna be like whipping it around. Like no, actually, it's the opposite. With those detached things, I can lay in the laziest (laughs) position. I can lay like. Flat. I got one arm like stretched out. It's like under a pillow for some reason. And my <laughs> other arm is like down by my knee, and I'm I am as I am as 
un- I'm as not mobile as possible. There's like six cats on your lap, and you're like, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, get the get the nunchuck extension cable so you can put your hands all the way apart. I kind of did that too, man. Yeah, it, that's how I played most of Mario, was the detached thing. Um, I played, I think, 90% of this game the switch altogether, you know, one the the mm-hmm. Joy-Cons uh connected yep. as like a mobile game. Um and, and I and so this was a, a thing that I had a problem with at the beginning. Um I, I did get used to it and I'm fine with the joystick. Um I do still constantly do the thing where you you need like true north and you do just a little right so you diagonal. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the yeah, the I mean, the D pad on the pro controller. I've actually heard that they've improved this with more recent. They they're like a, they released a pro controller that came out alongside um, uh, Xenoblade that apparently has a revised D pad. But the I have my launch day pro controller. The D pad is extremely prone to doing unintentional diagonals. Uh, so. Yeah. It's. I mean, it, it. It still feels comfortable, but it's. It's just not yeah. as precise as I would like. Least pro thing about the pro controller. Yeah, and the Joy-Con D buttons are just so perfectly clicky. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know exactly what inputs you've just put in. Yeah, it's not great for like those quarter circles or whatever, but that's what this the stick is for. I. I. I mean, it's not perfect, but like. I like this. I like this control on the Switch so much better now than I did before playing Celeste. Like it's, it was, it was really interesting to me. Like I really, I was literally thinking about like hacking up my Joy-Con in order to put a D-pad on it, and uh, <laughs> now I am not going to do that. Uh, before we move into more of the story and sort of the spoiler too, uh, I, I I do think it's worthwhile min, like circling back on both the music and the graphics of this game because I think they are uh, phenomenal. Um, the soundtrack is great and it's a very pretty game. It's one of those games that uh, it kind of reminded me like I don't know like Shovel Knight when you first see it it looks like it's like not very complex but then when you actually like stop on a frame and actually start to investigate a little bit further it ends up being um, a little more a lot more depth than you were thinking and there's some really cool like sprite animations yeah. and uh the dialogue animations a lot of like subtle decorations on the background yeah like little unnecessary flourishes little details that they've added that they have no relation to the gameplay but they're just beautiful little details they've added particularly in like things like the uh, the hotel level or mm-hmm. uh even the temple or the very later, the very late stages as you approach the summit of the mountain are freaking gorgeous. They are very gorgeous, and, and little uh, elements too, like the dialogue boxes. Um, they're they're very they're pretty tight dialogue boxes. It's like a little image, uh, a little portrait mode sort of thing of the character. But then later, when one of the characters becomes like very angry, she actually like busts out of the portrait. Oh, that and, was like, so cool. Spurt- Right One and of my like sp- sprawls over the whole screen and like it just it's it's that attention to detail that uh, that clearly and um, challenging your expectations for that kind of thing you know yeah like it's uh, the one thing I will say is like you know th- this game is is gorgeous looking but I'm already starting to see some people who are kind of coming up as as gamers who are saying like you know 
18, you know, 16 bit graphics bore me. And I'm like, well, you know, you, I'll never feel that way. But I, I do kind of, I do kind of get it, right? But, you know, this game is just such a great example of that style. Well, I think it's, it, it's so, it's so important that a game like this be instantly readable, right? Yes. And you know, you don't want uh-huh. to there to be any ambiguity about like where is the edge of a platform, where, uh, what can I grab onto and what can I not, and like. I mean, apart just apart from the fact that it's clear that this sort of low res pixel art is sort of this game maker's forte, uh, and this is what he does very well, and so I'm glad that he's sticking to something that he does so well. It's also just like that's probably the right choice for this style of game, regardless. You know, I don't. I, I mean, certainly, yeah, some folks can say like I'm I'm bored with pixel art, but like bored with pixels you're bored with life that's what i'm saying man <laughs> yeah like this this is this is great pixel art and it's also extraordinarily functional and readable pixel art like if this were mm-hmm. a little bit more prettily illustrated in a more high res style i would have died more you know this is this is the right choice mm-hmm. yeah also like the the character's movement is another thing i think should be should be complimented like the character has long flowing hair that trails behind you and gives you a, a real sense of the of the movement and and just looks great mm-hmm. and for, for, and, i mean towards the end of the game no spoilers here but like there, there's some changes to her sprite in in some later segments of the game that just exaggerate that and oh man it just looks amazing it's, and uh, it, it I've, I've said it a couple times but like the attention to detail on everything like there was no point at all in a game that has 700 plus stages uh, is is that that I was like, oh, oops, like I there was a clip or like, uh, you know, the character wasn't didn't respond exactly as I, you know, yeah, he's rock it, solid. It, it is perfect. And the the um, the writing and I know we're, we're really not talking about the story and that's purposeful, but it is a big it's a big part of this game. Something something um, that really interested me about the, the the description of the game is like when they they describe this game as a narrative driven single player adventure, just like Mom used to make on their Steam page. <laughs> and like we've been talking about this game and have really barely talked about its narrative, but they describe this as a narrative driven game, and they're right. The 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 narrative, sparse and simple though it is, is super important to why this game is actually like a joy to play rather than a, a cycle of punishment, right? It, it's it, it's a joyful experience. And the narrative is such a big part of that. Well, before we get too far into story, and I'm gonna have to bounce for that since I am early in the game and do not want to be spoiled with my narrative rewards. I'll say that uh, graphics wise, the colors they use are meaningful. They're beautiful, they're crisp. Um, I think the color scheme is, uh, it's not, you know, quite the neon of Severed, but it's got a lot of personality to it. Uh, I also think that the music is one of the, you're going to hear the music over and over and over again in a game with this many deaths. And I played this game quite a bit. And then my husband was also listening to the soundtrack while he was writing his, he's working on his dissertation. Uh, and I thought that it was in my head. I thought I was kind of going crazy until I realized it was playing out of his monitor. Huh. But I, 
basically it's been 24-7 in our house for a couple days and I'm not sick of it yet, which is a testament to how good this music is for hearing uh, kind of on a loop. The, the music really is actually kind of a high point to this game. And uh, I actually haven't downloaded the soundtrack yet, but now that you guys mentioned it, I absolutely have to do that. The, I think this is the first soundtrack by Lena Rain. Uh, so I had not heard of her before. I just did a little looking her up. And I mean, I, I haven't found much information about her yet, but like it reminded, I'm, actually, I don't really necessarily know what to, to compare it to, but it, it's a it's a beautiful sort of piano score that made me think about how like, this sort of piano music relates to the sort of classic, like you would expect a chiptune soundtrack for this, right? Because of its its visual style. And yet this piano score fits it so perfectly well. And it kind of made me think a little bit about sort of the relationship between, I don't know what you even call this sort of like mellow, but really beautiful style of sort of piano music, uh, how it relates to the sort of classical style of video game music. Typically known as Massacorpion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it's funny because it's like, it just goes into the theme that like everything about this game is beautiful except for the fact that you're dying constantly, right? Like everything is polished and, and, and nice and the story is tight and well written. It just, you're going to die literally thousands of times getting your way through it. And I think that's really unique in this genre, and I think it's a, I think it's a real accomplishment. And something else I want to mention about the music is that, like, we kind of vaguely mentioned that there's this whole B-sides thing, and I mean, that's a whole aspect of the game that we have. I have barely scratched yet. The, the game has this entire, almost second game uh, that is these these B-sides. There's B-side harder versions of every. Uh, one of the seven uh, stages or, or chapters or what have you. And there's also an eighth chapter that you have to do an insane amount of crazy stuff in order to unlock that I'll probably never actually get to. But uh, the B-sides have an entirely different soundtrack from the rest of the game that's made up entirely of remixes of the main game's soundtrack. It's a whole separate soundtrack that you can download. Like, it's a, it's a whole separate album. And the soundtrack... It's is got it, composers, yeah. like... People who did FTL, uh, Read Only yeah, Memories, Prunty, um, a lot of uh, people we Krista, know. Uh, oh geez, what's her last name? Lee. Krista Lee does remixes on it. There's a bunch of great names on that sort of remix album. Um, and it's it, both the, the original soundtrack and the, the remixed soundtrack are phenomenal. So, you know, worth downloading on their own. I don't know if, if like... Sometimes you get those options to buy like a bundle that includes a soundtrack. I don't know if this has that. Certainly didn't on the Switch, but maybe it does on Steam. If you have the option to get the soundtrack along with the game, it's worth picking that up. And I'm probably going to buy it on Bandcamp. Yeah, it's it just everything about this game. They they took their time. They made sure it was great. Um, I I you know obviously it's early in this year, but like I I can't imagine this not be, like maintaining throughout the year one of my favorite games to come out this year. Um, I, I can't wait to see what Matt Makes Games does next. This like further cements my uh, esteem for their for his and now his team's you know game design. Well, yeah, it'll be like another what five more years? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Unfortunately, probably we'll so. We'll wait. Yeah, I will wait. So as we roll towards our spoiler break, uh, before we if you're if you haven't completed the game, we're going to be talking about the uh, the details of the story and the conclusion of the story. 
Uh, you know, for a simple story, the story is really compelling. So I would recommend giving the game a play before listening to us yammer on about it. But if you have completed the game, uh, or if you're the sort of person that's not sensitive to spoilers, listen on after the spoiler break. But for those of you who might be leaving us at this point, thank you guys for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net. Uh, where you'll find a contact form, which is a great way to let us know about what short games you're playing. Uh, a good proportion of the games we play on this show are listener recommendations, and we really appreciate that. No one can stay on top of, uh, no one person can stay on top of the entire world of short games. So having folks let us know what they're interested in is a great way for us to keep on top of things. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, also, leave us a review on iTunes. We haven't had one of those in a little while, and, uh, you know, I miss it. I love a good iTunes review. We'll read your name on our podcast. We, we may, in fact, do that. Thank you. <laughs> I, I 100% guarantee you that we read every single one of those, and we all talk about them to ourselves, good or bad. But we prefer good ones. Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us individually, you can mostly find us on Twitter. I'm... Reagan K, that's at R-A-Y-G-A-N-K on Twitter. Uh, Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. Also, uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Reagan and I were oh, guests yes. on a another podcast called The Casual Hour. It's a video games podcast, uh, video games and like tech culture podcast. Uh, they they were focusing on uh, short games and like why you should play them. So we went on and it's great. I, I definitely recommend uh, great people, a great show. Listen to the casual hour. We talk about Celeste as well as uh, some of our favorite games uh, that we've talked about over the past couple of years. Uh, Reagan uh, you know, goes on about his hatred of cavemen um which is a thing that i did not know about uh so if you want to learn more about that as well as uh you know more just video games culture check out the casual hour definitely recommend it yeah we'll try to have a link in the show notes if their episode goes up before ours i'm not sure if it'll be up but uh if not we'll check our twitter it'll I be think, on there um, yeah i think it should i think it should be up yeah uh laura where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. And come back next week. We expect our next episode should be about Florence. A, uh, I don't know if it's right. I haven't played it yet, so I don't know if it's right to describe it as a visual novel. I think he called it something like a visual storybook. It is a graphic novel inspired romance story for iOS. Yes, and it's by the lead designer behind Monument Valley, which we love very much, but seems like a very different sort of thing. And also right in line with the season with uh, Valentine's Day coming up. So looking forward to next episode. Join us back here next week. And here it is, your spoiler break. So it really surprised me how this story evolved and, and how I actually cared about it way more and more as the game went along. Because, honestly, at the beginning, I, I thought that the story, um, the way it was presented and the way the characters behaved, I was like, okay, this is just a plot device to move me from, you know, stage to stage. Mm -hmm. I, thought it was a little, I thought it was a little disconnected, um, and I had a hard time really 
totally telling what was going on, but it didn't matter to me. I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, a game like this doesn't need a crazy story. Uh, it's just a great platformer, and, you know, this is fine. Uh, and as it went along, it, it actually became quite the opposite. Um, and, and I think that's intentional. Yeah. Um, they did an amazing job, I think, of just making... So, I mean... W- the two sort of main characters of the game are Madeline, sort of our, our lead, and I don't know how we want to refer to like the part of Madeline. You know, she, she was pretty much only ever referred to as like part of me. Yeah, but like part of me. Uh, you know, this this you're, you're never so it's very uh, obscure from the beginning. Like, why is Madeline climbing this this mysterious mountain and going to all this trouble to reach the the summit and. The, the farther in you get, you you, know, you realize she's not really running to anything. She's sort of like running away from her life and trying to find a way to um, to like wrestle with her demons, right? You know, she's depressed. She's living with her mother. I really love the scenes where like at the end of, of, of like a long series of difficult platforms, she like calls her mom. Right. Yeah. They, they do a lot of stuff to ground it that I really, really enjoyed. Um, For some reason, the fact that she keeps getting told to go back to her car really stuck stuck with me because the the world is so unreal and so fanciful and so strange, right? Yeah, and yet there she is taking selfies with with the the guy, um, Theo. And and so it, it it has this feeling of like, uh, like a, a journey into Madeline's uh, subconscious, I guess, or like into yeah. Madeline's uh, issues. Psyche. Yeah, I mean, I think it becomes kind of on the nose, literally, that as it goes along. But I, I thought the character of Theo was pretty interesting. He's almost like the Greek chorus uh, for the for the game. He's like constantly just like, "What are you doing, Madeline? Why are you like?" Why are you so uh, hell bent on getting to the top of this mountain? And he also Why serves you... that function of like being that the, the the friend that teaches you something really important, right? He he talks to Madeline. She's have has these panic attacks, and he there's that beautiful scene where they're on the like gondola that's stopped, and she's worried it's going to fall, and she's having an anxiety attack, and and he he tells her like, my grandfather told me this trick where you. You know, you, you envision a, a feather in front of your face and your breathing keeps that feather floating and just keep breathing, keep that feather floating. And then you as playing the game have to like keep the feather floating with your buttons. And and, and that's when it really started to connect, right? That's yeah. when the story became a part of the game and not just like the background of the game. Um, and I thought that was really beautiful. I did have a question. Were you able to do like it's a game floating the flower or the, the feather but like the last one, it was really, really hard. Oh, yeah, and then yeah. everything no, goes. No, it wasn't hard. I did it. <laughs> yeah. All of them? You yeah. got all of them? Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. I can platform for days, but I can't. Uh, well, the, the trick the is that it's it's about it's about holding the button down in turn in, in tune with your breathing. Uh, I, I originally was th- thinking like thought it was like 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 any other game where you're like keep this thing in the air. You'd be like press the button a lot. Press 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 right to to like to keep something in the air. But this is more like hold it down let it go that's so funny because if i failed it and she was like you think a stupid feather is gonna solve this problem or something like that and i 
and it seemed like it was like it was set up that you wouldn't be able to do the feather huh. for the last one. Uh, no, so totally, that's why I totally wanted to possible. ask. But it's uh, yeah, it's I thought it's sort of like a beautiful moment, and it kind of like the idea that like Madeline is climbing this mountain in order to like literally wrestle with the part of herself that wants to hold her back that that the that self-destructive part of herself that part of herself that you know that the that makes her doubt herself or tear herself down and she originally thinks she's there to destroy that part of herself uh, by you know doing this great feat of climbing this mountain but really what she's there to do is to accept herself and that she's more mm-hmm. powerful once she's accepted the part of herself that that occasionally causes her pain but that you know like i i think that's beautiful like it's a really and that 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 made the actual platforming better because it put this it it put it through this lens of like i reagan holding this controller uh you know i don't know if i can do this this is a brutally difficult platforming level but like i i want madeline to be able to to succeed but it's more than that like i i felt like there was this sort of connection of that like i like, who hasn't felt that moment of, like, self-doubt, right? And thinking mm-hmm. that you can't do something. And, oh, boy, did I feel some self-doubt during this game. But, like, it's it's just it's just a, a beautiful, like, lens to look at that feeling through, right? I don't know. So the idea that our, uh, our doubt, our fear, our... Um our you know hatred of ourselves or whatever is a is a is a is inherently bad uh, that's how it starts mm-hmm. that like you know we don't i don't want these things i don't want to doubt myself i don't want to uh, be afraid of things i don't want to uh, have fear uh, uh, of the future or or whatever um that's how it starts but the the growth of the character of of madeline is that those elements of ourselves make us stronger and make us a a more complete person uh and allow us to reach greater heights um it's it's not a new story to tell but it's not one that i'd played through this style of uh fiction and, and and video games and and it wrapped into a really difficult platformer i think was is a really beautiful way to to tell that yeah, story yeah it's it's funny um, it's like the it's like the difficulty of the platformer just makes you feel like emotionally raw enough to let this story in in a way that you kind of don't expect <laughs> to right like yeah. it affected me more than like if i had watched a video of this game being played uh, particularly if i'd watched a video of it get, being played well i i think i would not have felt <laughs> The, the story the way that I did but because this this tells its story while you're playing this brutally difficult thing and it just it puts you in this headspace to receive this message in a way that I think is really yeah. really interesting it's like a it's like a really smart uh, way of like I don't know it's, it's, I, I just think it's very I, also I really liked the um, the writing like the the, yeah. the dialogue That's between good. Madeline and the part of herself as she's starting to accept this other part of her was very, very sweet and kind and, of beautiful. I mean, it, it, it feels real. Right. I, I don't know if um, Matt himself 
suffers uh, from uh, depression or uh, you know extreme. Who doesn't? It's 2018. Sure, for totally, but (laughs) but like there's there's some whoever wrote this either themselves feels very real or Matt did some very great research. Also, you look at the credits and and it's uh, like. This is this is the work of a team, and at least several of those people were listed as story and script consultants. It's obvious yeah. that he worked with people to make sure that this was this was not just sort of one person's experience, but something that would resonate yeah. for you know lots of people. And I think it does. Um, also, how beautiful is it that like once you finally, once Madeline finally accepts her sort of other self, and and the other self accepts her. You know, uh, that suddenly that becomes this new power. And the last level is this whole, like, oh, my God, that like that sudden yeah. freedom of being able to like literally dash twice midair. And that's this it's like huge. spiritual growth. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's huge. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, it's 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 the perfect uh, melding of, of story and game mechanics. Um, you feel you feel. I mean, it's perfect. You feel like you're triumphing over everything that that set you back in the game. Uh, And also, it does this thing that I really, really love that uh, a lot of games will do this, but like where the last level is sort of a best of of everything from the previous like rest of the game. Um, But like narratively, that it's really well tied in. You know, you're you're thrown back to the, the base of the mountain. And you think it's hopeless. And then finally, Madeline and and her other self kind of come together. They have this moment. And suddenly, they have all this power. And they can just zip their way back up the mountain. And you are flying through the stages that you previously had to ploddingly uh, go through. I mean, obviously, there are new levels. But you're, like, ascending the mountain at, like, breakneck speed and so you get that sort of tour of all of the stuff it's it's not just a final exam it's sort of like saying goodbye to all the cool stuff that you saw on the mountain yeah it's like you you think back like man imagine how i would have handled this level had i had you know had i had two dashes and that's the gameplay side of it but then when you think of like the story side of it it's like Imagine how I would have handled, you know, life had I had this perspective of mm-hmm. embracing my my fears and my doubts um, and and the fact that it's OK to be sad and it's OK to to not be uh, sure of yourself all the time. And it's how you deal with it is what makes you stronger. Um, it, it's that perfect blending in the, of of gameplay and and theme that. Frankly, I I was not expecting from this game me either, and it's it and it's what's me. yeah, and it's what's kind of sealed the deal for me of this game that it is this is a like a next level beautiful game. Yeah, this is like an like, essential like, experience. Like this is this is a truly great game. Yeah, a couple other little things that I wanted to call out about the end of the game that I think are great. Uh, one is that that once you truly once you finally get back to the summit, you know you you've just been tossed to the bottom of the mountain and you're finally back up. It has that countdown, like every landing spot, every safe spot for the last, I don't know, half or so of the summit area is numbered. And you're like, OK, I'm on 25. Can I get to 24? Can I get to 23? That's, and that's in the peak. 
that's from the Pico game too. Oh. Uh, when when you're climbing the mountain, it's doing the. Uh, oh, you didn't mention the, that that's in the the in the game. I didn't find that, but you did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that one pre spoiler, but uh, I guess that's kind of a spoiler. But the the Pico, the entirety of the Pico game, is in Celeste. I, I don't know if it's just in the one place or if it's in more. I kind of feel like maybe they should put it I in multiple. I think but... it's just in that one place, or I'm sure I would have found it. Yeah, it's in the hotel. Um, yeah, if you find, uh, I guess, Mr. Oshiro's computer, you can play the Pico 8 version of Celeste in the modern full version of Celeste. That's great. I, I've i played it on the web. Uh, and you can go and, and if you Google it right now, you can find, you know, Celeste Pico 8 or Celeste Original. You'll find it right now and you can play it in a browser. But, like, that's great that they included it in there. It's so cool. Yeah, it's actually funny because so you go, like, the way I found it, you go into sort of a dead end and it's a secret. Like, it's obviously a secret, but I didn't think it was, like, that difficult of a secret. So I found the Pico 8 and I'm like, oh, I guess this is just what I do next. And so I played through and beat the whole Pico 8 game and then it was like you just have to exit it there's not even like a <laughs> like there's not even like a congr- like you just beat it well you know and it's done you reach the summit and I was expecting I got like 11 strawberries like the strawberries in it I got a bunch of strawberries and I was expecting it to be like part of my count Aww, you know too bad and uh, it does give you your death total and then you just have to hit start and hit exit Pico 8 uh, and then you're just back in the game, and and I'm really glad I did it. Uh, but I I did not know I I had not done the research. I that, love that, that it's in there had. though. That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and I'm really glad that I played it. Um, and I'm really glad. Like, I don't know if had I known about the um, about it, like what it was, I might not have played it. I might have been like, oh, I'll I'll you know I'll look this up later and I'll play it. So I'm really glad that I didn't know and I just like played all the way through it because it was fun and it was challenging. Um, it was just, it was a bit of a surprise at the end was like, oh. Oh, okay. All right. That was, I guess that was I, the whole thing. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I guess that was, it was like an hour that it's just like, well, okay, I guess I'm done with that now. But I'm glad I did it. One other thing I wanted um, to mention about the end of the game is... So obviously the game has told you before that the strawberries mean nothing, right? They're 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 there only for your own uh, like stretching of your platforming muscles and occasional bragging rights, right? But once you complete the game, and this is post credits, there's this beautiful moment where you're on your way back to your car and you stop off at the creepy old woman's house. And you use the strawberries that you've collected over the course of the game to bake a strawberry pie for your friends. <laughs> and I loved that. But what I loved even better about it is that it, it, it's, uh, they judge how good your pie is based on how many strawberries you had. And so, like, they all described my strawberry pie as not the worst they've ever had. Pretty good. <laughs> they've, they've had a lot worse. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's like that's, and that just goes into, um, like, that's the way to handle it. Like, you know, it's like, it's a fun little thing. Uh, you know, you went after strawberries or not, and it, it determines how good your strawberry pie is. Nothing more than that, nothing less. Uh, it, it's a great way to handle it. Yeah. 
Because um, you're doing that for yourself anyway. I also think we might want to talk just a little bit about how the game handles post-game content, which I think is really interesting and, and kind of cool. Because um, it's got a lot of op- a lot of stuff, right? The, there's the B-sides, which you can play mm-hmm. before completing the game, but I'd kind of say they're post-game content. You know, you can... Uh, each level has its B-side version. But in addition to that, there's this final cave. It's kind of an eighth level. And the there, the story for it is that Madeline is returning to the mountain to explore a deep cave. This is after she's already left after the events of the game. Um, mm-hmm. And you can go in and, and start that level once you've completed the game. But there are locks in the in the caverns, right? You can't get past a certain point. And you have to have collected a certain number of hearts in order to unlock these doors to get into this cavern that unlocks a sort of a final level. I think that's sort of like the, you know, really varsity level stuff. Yeah. Um, And I don't know if I'll ever get far enough to get that, but there's also this other thing that I think I might actually be able to do. And I haven't been able to look up a lot of details about this yet, but um, in every level, there's also, in addition to the, the strawberries and these hearts, which I'm not even really sure how you collect the hearts. I'm, I'm a little unclear. I found one of them. Yeah, but there's also... It's literally, it's just like a, it's a really secret thing. Yeah, and I think there's two or three of them in every level. Um, But there's also a, um, uh, there's also a gigantic gem in every level. And they're always at the end of an extraordinarily difficult platforming challenge. I got half of them exactly throughout the game. Um, And I want to go back and get more. And there is a kind of a secret room or something that seems to... So in the summit area, there's this like shaft that's locked off behind a bunch. uh, And it's clear that there's sort of like sockets for all of these gems. So I'm not really sure what you unlock if you collect all of those gems. But that seems like... I'm like all, I'm like halfway there. Like I've got half of those gigantic yeah. gems, so I kind of want to go back and see. Um, but there's a lot of that kind of post-game content. I'd say more than half of this game is post-game content. If you count all of the B-side stuff, that final level, all of whatever whatever is locked behind that gem thing, that's a lot of stuff. Like it's a whole second game basically. So if you're wanting more game, this game has more game for you. Yeah, I. I love this game and I love hard platform games. So I, I think that's going to be my goal is to, to really dig in and, uh, 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 to, to accomplish these challenges. Um, I think I need a break, but I'm definitely going to come back to it. It's going to stay on my three, on my, uh, on my switch for a long time. One thing that, and this isn't a fault of the game, but one thing that frustrated me is at least on two or three of the, the stages or the chapters, I thought that I was exploring a, a like a secret path, which turned out to be the main path. Like I actually made decisions like, no, I bet like I basically just chose wrong. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I bet this is the secret path and this is the main path. And I would choose what turned out to be the main path. So I left the map without completing the uh Mm, left some secrets on you know on the floor something i appreciate about it though is that even before completing the game you can go back to different parts that you've already completed um and it it has checkpoints throughout each chapter i think they're pretty well placed it's 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 uh you don't really notice them as you're going through the game but uh, i i think 
every time you see the sort of Celeste Mountain symbol etched on the wall, then that's a uh, that's basically a checkpoint that you can jump back to later. So you'll kind of notice those occasionally. Each time you see one of those, you're at a point where you can jump back to that spot later uh, from the menus or from the from the like mountain map. Um, So that I think will make it a little easier if you're going for that completionist thing. You You won't have to play through a whole level from the start. You can jump straight to a particular spot. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, I didn't do that as I was playing through because I just felt like I needed to keep pressing forward. But I do appreciate the ability to go back. I did kind of wish throughout that there was more of a map for the Mm, maps. Um, I kind of wish for a map, particularly in like the temple. Oh, man. Yeah, there's so many different routes. uh, As well as the um, chapter six when down in the caves. Oh, yeah. there was so many different exits. I, I always, like, my go-to is to try to choose the one that I thought was not the main exit so I could, you know, find whatever secrets there were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I felt like I was consistently making the wrong choice and going for, and just ultimately taking the main route. And so I wanted to go back. I wanted to see the, I wish there was a map. Um, I understand why there wasn't, so it's fine. It, it is I, also, I, I'll give it one thing, is mostly... In terms of like the main path, you can backtrack in a lot of these zones without it being insane. Like they'll they'll provide little like trap doors that you can go back through, and and you won't have to, you know, it, it, it's not it's not a game about backtracking, but it does allow for it a bit in the areas where you're really going to want to. Yeah, sometimes, but then also sometimes like a door slams shut, <laughs> it's like, okay, well. I'll get that on the second run. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I I guess that's about all I have to say about the game. Do you? Uh, I mean, this is this is a great game. You should definitely pick this up. It's on the Switch, but it's also on basically everything. everything. Right? You can play this yeah. on your computer, no matter what OS you're running, and you can play this on Xbox One or PS4. And I think it would be fine on any of those platforms. Even if you're playing on a keyboard, it would probably be fine. Um, I think this yeah. is a this is a really really solid recommend, and I mean it's been getting a lot of praise, but this also has the short game seal of approval. Even though it took me 13 hours to get to the very end, but if I weren't going for every strawberry I saw, I probably Same. would have been under 10. Yeah, I, I think so too. That I said it earlier, but I kind of wish I would have just done like a clean playthrough and then gone through for the extra challenges just to know. Um, but I. I mean, this is in my, like, top ten games, I think, uh, that we've done for the show. Wow, it, yeah. It just, it... Maybe so. It really hits... Yeah, it hits everything that I want in a in a game. So, I, I highly recommend it. Um, and it'll be a game that I probably continue to talk about for a long time. So, uh, I'm really glad we did it for the show. I hope uh, anyone who listens picks it up and, and enjoys it as much as we did. Um... We definitely love to hear your thoughts. So if you're on Twitter or whatever, we did that before the break. Let us know. And uh, yeah. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.